We, of course, we have uh, our our standard and uh, guest here with Ron Galloway, who is our all things macroeconomics and uh, investing uh, guru when it comes into anything that is uh, stock related, options related, um, overall macroeconomic trends, what's going on in the world, what's going on with uh, resources that we have here locally. Our intentions always is not to be that we, uh, anybody in here like knows everything that there is to know, right? We're really looking for an ideal world. What we're striving for is to have a community uh, facilitated discussion that has uh, the bottom up wisdom that we all have here as a group. Um, and that the roles that we serve in leading this group is to be able to provide the uh, create the space and also able to provide uh, the infrastructure and architecture of the conversation and then facilitate uh, the sharing of that knowledge as you come in here too. So if you find uh, yourself in this place being like, hey, I got questions about this, or I don't agree with that, with that statement or that analysis, that's awesome. That's exactly what we're looking for, right? We're looking to have a free-flowing exchange of ideas of what is the collective wisdom of this group um, and uh, as we move through it. So Ron today has a, um, a lot, he's done a lot of research to pile in a lot of great uh, information for us today. It's going to be a little bit different uh, format than usual. So if you have a lot of distractions going on, um, with like your email or your phone, I would highly recommend that you shut those down because today is going to be a lot of data points that we're going to be looking at to be able to say, how do you see trends developing? And the only way you can see trends developing is to look at individual data points that might be important and then have to think about how are those data points related. So this is going to be a deep thinking process that everybody will have today to get any value out of, out of the group today. Um, you're going to need to uh, pay a lot of attention. Um, into, into what's happening there. Also, um, it's going to be important for you personally uh, to do that. It's also going to be important for us as a group, because unless you're paying attention to be able to put your brain to the data points, you're not going to be able to come up with different ideas or theories or thinking that's going to expand the thinking of our, of our group, of our collective wisdom in here today. So it's important for you, but it's also important for us to be able to have, um, have full attention um, into uh, the discussion today. Uh, as things come up for you, let's get the conversation going in the chat. Ron's going to be presenting. I'm going to be in there moderating the chat to be just helping some of the uh, discussion um, there too, as we have points and helping to flag out what remaining issues that we have. I think we have a hard stop in about 54 minutes uh, from now. So um, Ron, go ahead and uh, take us away. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and shut down my camera and go on mute. If everybody can also just please mute and hold any questions to the end or pop them in the chat. Um, as they come up for you. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everyone. How y'all doing? I, um, As Scott said today, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to throw a bunch of information at you, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that one of the ways that I started learning when I started doing research about 25 years ago is um, <clears throat> I got from this book by Umberto Eco, who wrote The Name of the Rose, and he wrote this other book called Foucault's Pendulum. And in that book, uh, what they would do is they would take two seemingly unassociated points and try and draw an inference between those two. It was one of the modes of thinking that was introduced in, in that book. And I've used it ever since. And in fact, I have a, a program that gathers up um, headlines from the news and then um, dumps them into an Excel spreadsheet where they're randomized. And then it pulls them up two by two. And I try and see if I can make any inferences between the two. And it might be like, you know, Netflix subscribers in Tampa and the weather in Oregon. 
which has nothing to do with each other, but occasionally, more times than not, your brain will uh, connect dots that you that you really didn't see coming. I also do this when I do public speaking. I will have one slide and I'll follow it immediately by a completely unassociated slide, trying to get people to draw inferences. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm throwing uh, the title of my presentation today. Let me do the share screen. Is the title of my presentation is uh, I got 99 problems uh, and inflation isn't one, which is why I was wearing the cap at the very top. Um, and let's see here. Let me make sure I can share my screen. Okay. That should have done it. There we go. We got it. All right. So I'm going to start throwing data points at y'all. And, um, and what I'm wanting to do is, is by the end of about 20 or 25 minutes, I want, I'm going to tell you the conclusions I've drawn from these, these points. And they're sort of related yet unrelated, and none of them involve inflation. I've talked to you all so much about inflation lately. I'm, uh, I'm skipping inflation today. But, um, but let's go ahead and start and then see where it connects your mind by the time I'm done. All right. The first one is yesterday. I just stuck this in a few minutes ago. Uh, but yesterday uh, in California, they determined that uh, bees are fish. So, and they said, while fish is commonly understood to be a maritime species, yes, that's usually how it's commonly understood to be. Anyway, I got 99 problems in inflation. One, here's one of them. Massive fire breaks out at poultry farm that uh, supplies eggs to major supermarkets. I'm not sure if y'all are aware, but there are a lot of these fires that have been going on in food manufacturers lately. Uh, Russia and China are continuing to, uh, to, to use the dollar to dominate trade, um, or, or they're going to replace the dollar. We are moving, I believe, towards a multipolar world, and I do not think that the dollar is going to be uh, the default currency anymore. Um, Palisades Power Plant in Michigan is closing. So they're closing down nuclear right at probably a pretty bad time. Toyota reported that its sales were down a lot uh, and they've slashed all their estimates. Um, now the UK and the EU are hitting uh, Russia's oil cargoes. Uh, they're trying to sanction them through the use of insurance, which is uh, a kind of novel way to do it. And what may be happening also to Europe is they may be sanctioning themselves right out of business. I read a Goldman Sachs report yesterday that said it's possible that 60%, if this keeps going on, 60% of all um, small businesses in Germany could shut down in the fall and the winter. Uh, the Swedish uh, parliament decided to ban the extraction of coal, oil, and natural gas right during an energy crisis. I believe that everything's all about energy. Energy is life. I've talked to y'all before about, you know, calories are energy and we literally have to have calories, but we're in sort of a energy denial phase right now. We've still got uh, folks flocking to Florida. And I think the next place they're going to come to Florida from is from the West. And I'll explain that why in a little bit. I'm a big fan of small nuclear reactors, but now they've kind of started trash talking them saying they, they produce uh, too much waste. Some environmental studies have come out. Uh, I believe that small nuclear reactors are, are one of the keys to, to our energy uh, self-sufficiency in the future. Uh, India has decided to go ahead and go 
uh, full bore on coal mining again because there's so much demand over there. It's interesting. Keep an eye on India because India is aligning themselves more and more with China and Russia, which is really curious, seeing as how about a year ago they were literally in a shooting war in the Himalayas with China, but they're getting more aligned with them. And this is part of the multipolar world, I believe, we're going to. Um, the White House Supply Chain Advisor is a World Economic Forum. Those people are trouble. Climate change activists who work think tank. I sort of have this theory right now that we're being governed by people who aren't quite serious. That worries me. Um, there are going to be fuel shortages in this summer during, due to a squeezed oil market. My daughter just got back from Italy. She was fixing to head off uh, next month to Britain, but they canceled the trip because the, uh, the British tour company told them they couldn't be sure that they were going to have enough energy. They weren't going to have the diesel to drive the buses around. Uh, copper miners are still on strike. I believe this is Mexico. That's not a good thing. We need copper a lot. Hopefully, y'all are starting to, to view a theme now and make some analogies. Um, an advisor to Zelensky said that this is the state of diplomacy these days, that uh, uh, they would throw an exemplary tantrum if they didn't get rocket systems. So it's like, give us rockets or we're going to throw a tantrum, which is part of my whole we're not being governed um, by adults these days. I was in Costco yesterday, and for the first time, I saw people buying in bulk, um, like rice in bulk and tuna in bulk, things like that. It's one of the first times, and I go to Costco a lot, one of the first times I've seen that. Um, if you're in the stock market right now, you understand that there's basically zero institutional liquidity. Uh, everyone in the stock market right now is retail, and that might not be the best thing in the world. Um, we're having the most significant uh, energy crisis since the 1970s, um, and we're having it at exactly the worst possible time we could possibly have it, given that we're having supply chain problems and we need energy to produce food. I think everything ultimately comes down to the fact that I believe, um, I believe we may have a food problem uh, this summer. Um, in Stephen King's The Stand, I just, this is sort of a personal commentary, uh, people dying of the flu tried to kill the people that were immune to the flu. And if you, if you look at news out of Australia today, there's a lot of conflict going on between people that were vaccinated and people that weren't vaccinated. They have sort of a little mini civil war brewing down there. Uh, China has de facto control of a lot of Mexican ports. Uh, and a lot of Bahamian ports, uh, giving them sort of, uh, and they control the Panama Canal, giving them a big say in our supply chain. Um, the yuan ruble trading has um, trading has surged, and this is part of the fact that we the 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 world is de-dollarizing, and we're going to, and like I said, it's going to be multipolar, and there's going to be sort of. There's going to be a currency that is mixed between the, the ruble and the and the yuan, and uh, and then there'll be the dollar, and it'll be essentially the uh, United States and Europe using the dollar, and India, and well, and six billion other people using uh, whatever else is there. Uh, we keep sending boats out into um, to sort of 
say that we'll support Taiwan if we have to. Um, but they, China has enough missiles to wipe out pretty much anything we send out there. Uh, there's a crisis going on. You've seen Shanghai be shut down for the last two months. And what it is, interestingly enough, I believe, is part of it is uh, Xi Jinping pulling a, a power play before the elections um, coming up in October, in which he's going to try and be uh, emperor for life. Um, we sort of heard they were failing at first, but now we know that Russia's army is basically still a killing machine. And um, we'll see how that works out. Uh, if natural gas uh, inventories decline substantially, uh, Putin will be able to bust up EU unity. Putin de facto has Europe's future in his hands right now because between 40 and 50% of their energy comes from him. And you, you may, may or not have read how quickly he demanded to be paid in rubles. Not everybody's doing it, but it's interesting how many people have given in and are paying him in rubles. This is just another personal thing I read, but I thought it was kind of cool. So I'd throw it in there that Darwin's actually more influential on the world, on Europe especially, than, uh, than well, he opened the floodgates for Marx. And uh, I really worry about Europe. I, I, I worry a bit about the United States. I very much worry about Europe. I think they're about to be uh, excluded from the world economy to a large extent because if the energy crisis continues, they're not going to be able to produce things. Um, Mexico has the number one amount of digital nomads. Mexico, I've sort of been thinking for a while that people were going to be leaving here and going over to Mexico. And it may be that that started. Once again, I hope y'all are all putting associations in your head and building a theme at all these points I'm throwing at you. Uh, there's a Korean pop group called BTS and they appeared at the White House press briefing, I think it was day before yesterday. This is part of my theme about uh, the people who govern us maybe aren't serious people. Uh, right now, China has a total dominance of essentially the amino acid chain. China has stockpiled 65% of the world's corn and 50% of the world's wheat right now. So they've got most of the world's food right now, which I find interesting. The big theme, which is running through what I'm talking to you about, is food. Um, China is also buying land over here, and we don't seem to be worried about the fact that they're buying, they're putting up a 370-acre uh, 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 facility right next to one of our air bases in North Dakota. Everybody just seems fine with that. Um, China's population likes lots of protein and there's sort of a silent war going on for protein. You know, they bought uh, one of our big pork producers over here. And like I said, they're stockpiling uh, a huge amount of, uh, of the corn and wheat in the world because the world turns on four resources, protein, water, energy, and firepower. And right now, China and, uh, and Russia are uh, autarkic in, in those ways. There's the word autarky means you're, you're self-sufficient. And those are really the two most autarkic countries in the world right now, China and Russia, which I believe are going to form the basis of a, of a new multipolar uh, economic system. Uh, Western sanctions are essentially having the unintended effect 
of causing famine in uh, Africa, which is going to have the unintended effect of causing uh, more mass uh, migration. Uh, Macron has warned the French that they may be taking in 60 million uh, more migrants. Uh, Mexican cartels are now in control of the fishing and logging industry. Hey, Ryan. Not a good thing. Yo. Right. Hey, Chris, I'm trying to blast through these. Let me blast through these and then I'll okay. ask questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a quick comment. I mean, it, it's not Western sanctions. It's Russia invading Ukraine that's creating this uh, starvation in Africa. But Well, which creates the energy crisis. But yeah, let me blast through these. Because uh, I got a few more to go. I don't have 99 problems today, but I think I have like 54. And we're on number 30. Um, look for some kind of, of, I would not be too surprised to see some kind of cyber war take place right before China does decide to go into Taiwan, which I think they're going to do. Here's what I was telling y'all before about them buying corn and soybeans a bunch. And we're aware they're doing it, but we seem not to care. Uh, they are on a bit of a war footing because of um, Xi Jinping and the uh, the election coming up in uh, October. I think it's October. Um, and once again, on my not serious theme, China is preparing for war. And honestly, we're trying to figure out the breakfast buffet at the Shanghai Four Seasons. That was a real headline. Uh, the other day, yesterday or the day before, there was an undersea cable disruption between Frankfurt and Helsinki. Which is, uh, which is kind of curious timing if you think about it. I'm sure y'all can figure that one out. Um, soil temperatures in the Midwest are cooler and it's wetter out there. And so we're way behind planting uh, corn and wheat. All right, once again, returning to my theme about food. Um, uh, it's hurricane season and a direct hit right now to Texas and Louisiana would have a really, really bad impact on fuel prices because that's where most of the refineries are and the pipeline coming over to the east. That could be a bad thing. Um, North Dakota, this once again is about um, that uh, base that they're building out near our base and the fact that they are uh, the Dakota National Guard is using uh, CCP-controlled TikTok to recruit. China just keeps making more inroads. So far this year, I talked to you all about this last time, the ruble is the strongest currency on the planet, which is odd. Uh, in China, because of, I don't know if y'all been following that shutdown, but it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Uh, elderly are separated from caregivers and kids are being, um, pets are being, people come into people's houses and kill their pets. I mean, it's just horrible what's going on. There's a lot of things going on in the world. And what I fear this is my biggest fear and sort of a theme behind this. What I fear is complacency. And there are all these horrible things going on that I've been showing you, and I'm not through yet, but there's too much normalcy bias. I mean, people, you know, normalcy bias is when people are like, yeah, it's normal. Everything will be fine. Whereas I think where we're more at, Mike Tyson has a famous saying in, is that uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I'm just worried we're getting punched in the face and we're not even paying attention. Uh, 18 months ago, Zoom had a bigger market cap than ExxonMobil. Now ExxonMobil is 10 times larger than Zoom. Um, China's been running military drills. I've sort of been suspecting and talking to people about this on its northeastern border. I think China is already claiming they're an Arctic country and they're not. But I think I think at some point they and Russia are being friends now 
But at some point, they're going to want some path straight up to the Arctic because, um, as y'all may know, global warming has opened up a lot of shipping in the Arctic and China wants to be up there. In Los Angeles, uh, basically people walked into a Sephora and just filled trash bags in front of people. Um, and people just kind of don't react and think it's normal now. We had last week, there was a food riot in Jacksonville, Florida, and someone got killed during that food riot and nobody paid attention to it. Like I said, I fear complacency in all this. Um, overnight swap rates in Europe are saying that their rates are going to go much, much higher. I have a friend in Germany who tells me that everyone she knows is, is selling their property there and looking for someone else to go. For the first time, the Swiss mining conference, nobody used to go to it except for really wonky people. And they might have like 100 people there. This year, they had their biggest attendance ever. So I'm not sure what that's telling us, but I'm pretty sure it's telling us something. Um, in the Financial Times yesterday, they asked the question, can Africa grow without fossil fuels? It's interesting that they're asking that question is the reason I put that up there. Uh, potash, we better not have a shortage of potash because we then won't be able to grow food, which will be a problem. And I've been talking about food. Um, our, our UN ambassador to the Ukraine uh, didn't know that Ukraine grew a lot of food, which is awesome. Uh, I know y'all have all read about this, the baby formula shortage. Scott and I were discussing how in the world in our country can you have a, a baby formula shortage? It just seems unthinkable. Uh, and then this is my last slide. Um, Chris can probably tell me immediately what's wrong with this. This is the Secretary of Defense and uh, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff meeting to uh, discuss uh, Ukraine. Chris, can you pick it out? What's the problem with that picture? Okay, I'll go ahead and tell you. All the Ukrainian flags, all the Ukrainian flags in the background are upside down, which is kind of goes along with my theme about us not being governed by serious people. I hope I spurred some debate. I feel as though I probably did, but this is how I like to think. I like to assimilate lots of facts, try and make connections from them, and then act. And, and what I worry about, this, these are things that I truly believe are going to affect your your, you and your families and your financial future. And I guess my big themes for I kind of turn it over to the group is that we're basically being governed by people who aren't serious. I believe there's going to be food rights, at least in Europe, maybe here. Um, I think Europe is actually going to be doomed for about a generation. And the United States is losing its, its status as a hegemon. And we're in a multipolar world now. And, and really almost every slide I showed y'all related either food or money to the fact or energy to the fact that we're in a multipolar world now and we need to pay attention to that when we're trying to decide where to invest all our funds. Scott, I'm going to hand it back over to you. Yeah, I wanted to um, get to a place here too where it's not just uh, the doom and gloom section of it, right? Because Dr. Doom, I'm sorry, but you know how I do yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. And it's great, right? Uh, to get into the uh, what what all the things that could go wrong uh, type of analysis or all the things that you'd say, like, hey, here's all the uh, negative points that would draw to like a conclusion, right? 
So the one thing here too, Ron, is that like, as we're all having discussions and there's things that are going on here and discussion here in the chat too, is that there's a fundamental question that underlies all of these types of analysis, right? Which is like, what is your source of truth? Like, what do you believe are true facts, right? That you would actually look to make investment decisions off of. Um, and then how do you coalesce those facts to draw a theme that are then going to tell you like what to do, right? So um, there's a place in here too, Ron, where like as, as part of the discussions that Ron's had like weeks over weeks and as we'll continue to have in the future, which is not just doom and gloom of like, here's the current economic trends, but also, you know, what are, what's smart money doing right now um, as they, as they come into that? Um, I didn't know, uh, I saw Chris had his hand up. Did Chris end up having to leave? Into no, the no, I'm here. Oh, I'm okay, here. go ahead. Oh, so, um, I guess just a general comment. I mean, <laughs> Ron, for such a cheery guy, you're so doom and gloom all the time. You got light up, bro. I, I worry. I do. I worry <laughs> a lot. And well, and the fact that what I, you know what, I probably spend too much time alone and I read a lot <laughs> and I read so many different things. And I literally do have well, this program that feeds me facts all day. And so I read these things and I'm sending a few more links that are maybe are a tad more positive, man. I mean, ever since the Bible, I mean, everybody thinks the next generation is completely doomed. Oh, I know. And I, I know. Find when you really dig into it, it's just a subconscious fear of our own mortality and that we're getting weaker and we're dependent on the next generation to, uh, to really help young. us. Don't be talking like that yet. That's for people like me to talk about. But yeah, you, well, you I'm, probably- I'm not saying I have those feelings. I just often <laughs> feel that as a society, we often feel that way about the next generation. And uh, look, I mean, I grew up in, in the 80s. I mean, we, were, we thought the whole was to be nuclear annihilation. I mean, that's what everybody was saying. Um, and we all just look back with rose colored eyes because we got glasses because we survived it. But uh, look, life's going to throw us a bunch of challenges. I'm not saying no to a lot of these things. I'm just saying we find solutions. Uh, in terms of replacing the dollar, like I mentioned in the comments, every friggin' decade we have this fear that's going to get replaced. We thought Japan was going to take over in the 80s. We thought Euro, when the European Union went together, that was going to take over. You know, China with crypto. I mean, there's all these different you know, uh, which I consider to be healthy, that there's challenges against the dollar. But in the end, nobody wants to invest in a currency that is uh, has anything with China. Nobody does. Um, you know, crypto is, if you know, there's no way for any government to manipulate crypto. And therefore, if you can't have a large, especially Western societies, able to manipulate their currency, uh, you have too many forces that are against it. So, uh, look, Ron, I, I agree with a lot of things that you're saying, but I just find that it's humanity. We always find a way. Hopefully, then, hopefully you're right. It's funny, though, uh, two weeks ago for the first time, and I, I can't remember which country. I'm going to say Switzerland, though. Uh, they had uh, Uwan. I can't even ever pronounce it right. Uh, they they uh, issued a bunch of bonds denominated in, in Wan which were ordinarily denominated in Euro dollars. And uh, that actually is really what caught my attention when I first saw that. But it, it's good to have an optimistic point of view. But like I said, you don't think things, sometimes it's the whole black swan theory that that book has been way too influential on in my life is that something coming out of nowhere and changing everything. And so I just try and keep my eyes open for things out of nowhere that nobody can think will happen and uh, then occasionally a couple of them does do. And at least you're, you know, you're semi prepared. And especially in investing, where this leads me uh, in two directions, food and energy. 
And um, so I just think thematically, uh, if y'all are looking at things, the, the two areas that I think are for, you know, for the near term, if not bulletproof, but close to it are, are food and energy. And I'll you don't that. like housing? I mean, personally, I really like housing because it's a great inflation hedge and people are always going to need a roof over their head. As long as hey, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, t- I told you before, I'm like the world's worst real estate person. So I couldn't really comment with any authority on that. But the food and energy thing, which, you know, tie together really attract my, they get my, my full attention. And the fact that we had a food riot in a Publix parking lot in Jacksonville, Florida, a couple of weeks ago where someone was killed. That attracts my attention. That, that I hope it's not a leading indicator, but you know those are things that just sort of catch my attention, and I go, it's that whole thing, things that make you go hmm. And so a lot of things lately make me go hmm, and it seems well, to be my function. Fortunately, as a country, we're energy and and food depend, uh, independent, so that's we're helpful. relatively yeah we are actually between uh, I think it's Brazil and us we make seventy or sixty five percent of the world's uh, protein which is good. And Brazil makes the coffee, which is even better. But like I said, I just want to bring these things up to, because I worry that people are, are yeah. so complacent, well, Ron, can I, you know, can I want to jump in with just a quick, uh, quick line of screen and then just a couple of quick thoughts that I wanted to share with the group as I was just sitting here in here, listening to you and Chris go back and forth. And there's, cause there's some definitely like, there's some good thinking that's happening here. And I want to pull it out just a meta level real quick. So part of one of the things that we look at, right, guys, is we look at like different market trends that would happen for us. If you can see my screen here, so we'd say, cool, we've had like this up market. What Ron is talking about here is, hey, guys, there's we're, we're here, right? We're maybe like here on one of these sections of the curve. And then this is where we're getting in more info, right? This is like where like Ron's saying, hey, I think we're this is what's going to happen. We're going to end up with this big downslide. What's going to happen here? And in this downslide, what things might we want to look out for is like, what's going to happen to the dollar? What's going to happen to food? What's going to happen to Europe? And when we're looking at like these topics of things that we think are vulnerable, that's how we're looking for it. Explain like, here's the things that we think are the underlying conditions that are causing this downslide. So Chris also brought up too, is like, well, what happens with like housing, for example, what we expect to happen with housing, that would be another place to say, is this the downslide that we care about here? When we're in this part of the curve, where does smart investing typically happen is when you, when you think this is going on, my understanding is this is where you start to play defense, right? Defense usually means trying to hold things in cash for like, because cash lets you say, great, I think things might be downsliding. And what am I going to do? I'm going to hold cash while I'm playing defense and I'm going to wait till I'm back up here on the curve. Because then I can play defense, I can watch, see what's happening here, maybe make some defensive moves with my investing to take advantage of things going down. You actually make more money in the downturns faster than you do in the up cycles because markets move faster down than they do up if you know how to play them right. And then you wait for the recovery here. And then and here you're still sitting cash until you say, great, now I can see where the long-term investments are now being placed for this upward upward stake in the economy. And here's where I'm back into all my assets, right? Uh, can I make a quick comment here? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I just, I mean, I think this is very, very, very good advice. Unfortunately, nobody gets this right. I mean, it's the old, you know, buy low, sell high. Nobody gets it right. Uh, and I, I, I find personally, 
when you throw too much into cash, look, I, I do have cash right now for a different reason, but I mean, I just find nobody gets it right. You know, you know, you end up waiting too long or you don't go into it long enough. But if you look at overall long-term trends and if you are a long-term investor, you know, worrying about the ups and the downs often, too often will just make you sit on the sidelines while everything changes around you. Just yeah, my opinion. Yeah. I hear you too, man. Cause that's like that typical, it's like buy, hold and die. Right. Yep. Like that, that would be like that strategy is like you buy, hold and die. Property buy and yeah. Buy and just hold on to it forever. Yeah. And then like you keep 1031 ing and eventually you're going to like die here. Right. I think like yep. this is, just, this is, that's like a, this is a really typical like long-term real estate investing, like mentality into it. I think there are like, I mean, I never sell stock and I, I just borrow yeah. against it. If if, if you can ride out, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people do get it wrong trying to time the market, most right? People. Yeah, most most everybody is going to get this wrong inside the time to market. Uh, if you're, unless you're at like the, you have an information edge about like what's happening. There are things that we look at too when we're looking at stock markets, like technical analysis. I would say, great, we can look at different trend lines of what's happening. When we think that these trend lines cross and they're above this type of deviation, we have a ninety something percent certainty of it increasing over time. Right, Ooh, Scott? So I think, can I can I bump in for a second? Real yeah, Scott? go ahead, Ron. You just you just shook me out of my dementia. I did see a data point related to housing. Um, Chris, yesterday I was looking at German housing prices and German housing prices are uh, over there 80% over the uh, 10 year mean. And I don't know, I don't know much, but I know in general, everything returns to the mean and that's in Germany. I don't know if that's true here. Yeah. I don't know anything in Germany, but I'd be curious what the rents are going for over there too. And if they're also 80% of the mean. Can I ask you about what you're seeing in Chris and if anybody else has any insight on this for like what's going on inside of like our real estate and housing and commercial pricing? Um, are you thinking right now for like your your one to four unit uh, that you're having right now, Chris, that you're thinking like, hey, these are, I want one to four unit properties and I want these to be like lower income properties because, hey, we'll have an economic downturn. If the people still, the people that still have to have roofs are going to be like your typical working class. We can't really get rid of them. They're the ones that really like run the economy. So great. Let's have one to four unit housing or like apartments that are going to be for their housing. But, but like not share the same belief about like what commercial real estate might do, like your hobby lobbies and those type of uh, commercial things would be like riskier plays giving like down economies. Or how, how are you thinking about like real estate markets between different real estate asset classes? Because I know you're in a number of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I wish I was more invested in multifamily. I mean, when, but I'm just not finding the value there. I'm, you're competing against so many other professional investors. And so for me, what works for me is single family. A lot of it from what you're saying in terms of lower income. But for me, more than anything else is that, one, I, I constantly remind myself the majority of my wealth was created because of 2008 uh, and because of the opportunities that brought up. And then two, the ones that really suffered the most from 2008 were the ones that were over leveraged. So if you can find a really good deal and you're not over leveraged, even if my rents go down by 20, 30 percent or the, you know, or, or the value of my property goes down by, I, I, let's say, 70 percent. What do I care if the rents don't go down, 
Uh, you know, if I'm still making that cash, now of course I care. But if I'm not over leveraged and my rents are relatively stable or enough to cover my leverage and my nut, then I'm not going to sit here worrying about it. I'm going to actually be happy when I see something because it's going to give me more opportunity as everybody runs for their for so to hide. So if I hear you correctly, Chris, the way you're thinking about this is saying like, great, what I really want to do is I want to target lower income housing, single family. If I'm buying, if I want real real estate that's going to be durable during a downturn, I want my LTVs probably, I'd guess you're probably looking for like 70% as your highest LTV. Oh, no, 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 way too high. Way so too you're high. Thinking, what is a defensive LTV right now for you? Well, I think, I mean, if you're looking at your overall portfolio, I, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. Leverage. 20%. Mm-hmm. That's a lot lower. I'm seeing guys talk about like 70 and 50% as like their LTVs that they think are defensive. So you're judging it to be like, nah, you really, I even want lower like cash flow. I want to be well inside of the zone. Well, I, so I mean, I, I, that's just me personally. I mean, I, I could, you know, if I, I like having that ability to borrow against it if something phenomenal comes up right now. And some of those things I am looking at. I mean, uh, I just bought uh, 17 acres in South Carolina. We're going to develop that into low-income housing because I'm just finding some good numbers over there. Um, So I still think there's some opportunities out there. And if you're really smart about your purchase, if you don't over leverage, um, you can weather a lot of storms. Cool. So, so I see it like it, what I'm hearing you say. So when it comes to the real estate investing, then you're looking for things that I'd say, Hey, I want renters that have like stable jobs, like jobs that are going to be stable in a down economy, hopefully that that's on the lower end of like what people are paying for rent because the lower rent, the lower dollar rentals that uh, come in are going to be the ones that are going to be more likely to be rented at all. That um, I really want to get my LTVs down low. Um, to, as low as you to, can. Yeah, as low as you can, 50% or 70%, 50% or 20% are some of the numbers uh, that your, yours were at 20%. And then, hey, if there's a way for you to get have cash and that would, the cash will allow you to then buy the assets when they're on sale, like typically in like this part of the market. It says, cool, once everything, once prices come down and we're starting to then see recovery, then say, great, well, during this time is that you'll likely is where you're going to find good deals again. You don't necessarily have to worry about timing the market because it's that's just when deals are going to come out that are going to meet your investing criteria. Yes, yes. And the lower LTV is also because I can pull against it if I need to for that cash. So rather than having cash, I just have a lower LTV. Um, do you, and, and do you think, that, yeah. I think there's risks to sitting on cash right now? Um, and you know, look, I'm I'm doing that, but it's it's weighing heavily on my mind because in the the current inflationary environment, having cash that is not deployed, um, you know, it's it's losing value. And you know, I'm I, I haven't I agree found with Brennan, the, uh, Brennan, but it, I haven't found the opportunity yet, though. Well, then that's good. I mean, you don't want to make a rash decision because you're sitting on the cash. Wait for that good deal and then deploy it. But uh, and yeah, the inflation is eating at it. But um, if you find, I, I just I would hate to see anybody jump into something. Asset too prices though are going to be way more volatile than your um, than your cash. I mean, and things that are like aren't already uptrending that we know, like food and energy, that are going up into it. I'd be scared about anything much else that where I have a lot of assets that aren't inside of like. Uh, single family home real estate, you know, it's our like an equivalent risk profile, right? That has that that type of, I know I can't lose the asset and it's going to be producing some cash for me. 
But I, I think that's a part that gets me, which is like, oh, I'm losing money because my money's not in play. But uh, what I've seen over and over again is you lose way more money because of volatility in assets. And the game that we're really playing is losing a few percent is really different than uh, asset prices that drop to 50%. And then you have to hold on to the assets for eight years before they can recover. Right. And then you just can't do anything because all you're, you're so upside down in whatever the assets you bought. Right. And like prevents you from being able to buy the assets on sale and tripling up your money or doubling up your money because you're able to buy at the right time. Like you'll, it might, might, if we look back historically, right. If you could really, you know, buying assets in 2008 or buying the stock market when it was, you know, in, 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 in four digits instead of five, right. Like what is the difference in that versus how much you would have lost in inflation by having to wait for a year on your cash and, and sit on it, you know, for, for a minute. Uh, to be able to get to the right timing. I think yeah, it's also, I, I totally get that. You know, I, it's, it's really hard to step in and buy when the market is really bad, but you know, I've done it and I've done very well with it. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say buy low. Um, it's a lot tougher for people to, to do it when it's actually there. And that's why there's so much opportunity when the, when the market's, you know, tank. Yeah, I, 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 it's even more important now to make sure you have, if you're, if it's about real estate, to have multiple outs. Um, you know, when I bought in 2010, um, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, you bought a great time. But I mean, we still thought, well, you know, it could still go right back down again or go flat for another 10 years like it did between 05 and 015. Um, so for me, it was about about a whole bunch of low income housing. I had no I really not think they would appreciate. It was all about a cash flow pay, play. But then, you know, the whole market got picked up and gentrification, everything and it appreciated through the roof. But I never anticipated that it would. I was hoping it would, but I wasn't dependent on it. So having multiple outs uh, is, is, is crucial. One of the things too, I just wanted to highlight for everybody too, is we're talking about like multiple out, outs and like saying, well, if we, Ron, I think what I hear Ron saying is like, hey, a bunch of bad stuff is happening. Uh, I'm really bullish on food and energy being things that are going to be more scarce and difficult in the future. And so the restrictions, just the macroeconomics of restrictions and supply are going to drive demand up. So we could all be smart. If, if I hear Ron correctly, is like what would be smart is to if you want to think about like what assets you think you're going to appreciate over time, food and energy would be the way to go, right? We have significant real estate holdings, and probably a lot of us in here are trying to figure out like, well, can I under what scenarios can I increase my real estate holdings because I really like real estate, right? I'm I'm learning about food and energy um, here talking with Ron and from this group discussion, but I'm really into the real estate pieces as they come up. One of the things that I wanted to just highlight for everybody here on this call that happens here is when you use like a foundation um, or a 501c3 uh, type of entity that you're able to establish, that these can actually be established for the charitable purpose of establishing low income housing. So one of the plays that happens here, like on the tax side for people, is when you have your whatever your income is going to be, this can be W-2 income. My understanding is this can be any type of income, 1099, et cetera. And you can establish your own foundation. This is what Pete does uh, as part of our tax planning. And then um, that you can contribute. I'm seeing numbers in here of like contributions that are like 40 to 70% of your AGI, your adjusted gross income of your taxable income for the year. You can push that into the foundation. And then uh, you can also then turn around and then buy your low income housing through your foundation. 
So now your foundation essentially owns all this low-income housing. It was able to buy it with um, tax-free dollars uh, because you were able to donate it to a 501c3. And then your 501c3 turns around and pays you a salary. And your salary can go up depending upon the number of assets it has here. Because this is like a director's salary of the 501c3. So essentially, it works as like a retirement account. Like you would have like for a 401k, but it's unlimited to how much you can contribute, but it can be, it's a, but it's regulated by a percentage of your income typically. Um, and then you can turn around and buy your real estate that you want to buy. And, and this is low income, just mean like up and coming housing. It doesn't have to be section eight. It can be lots of different housing. It just has a, um, it's just the, on the, the up and coming uh, range of dollars. Um, and then you can continue to grow, um, grow the income and grow the assets of this. And as you grow the assets of it, uh, then you're also able to then increase like what your salary would be. So you can take the lows off. So it's a little bit better, I think, even than retirement accounts because can actually give you the tax for you, the tax planning as well as the salary into it. So if you're like in a scenario, the only reason I bring this up now is because a lot of people are like, well, maybe it's a good time for me to sell assets, but I don't necessarily know if I can, if I want a 1031 exchange because of things that are going coming on of like, I don't have assets I want to get into. It could be a, a good time to sell assets and then use some of these tax planning strategies to either, you know, buy more assets or, or hold, hold the cash in here and, and have it as like a tax, uh, tax deferred or a tax free uh, vehicle. But to talk to Pete a little bit about that, I just I didn't want to necessarily get into too deep into this concept. I'm I'm not the foremost expert. Uh, Pete is on on these matters, um, but I wanted to set up for everybody because a lot of people I know are feeling trapped right now. They're like, ah, I don't know what to do with the, all these gains I'm making my real estate, and I'm getting like almost no returns off of them, or I'm getting such little returns, and I have it leveraged to the hilt, but I have some. Uh, maybe I don't have it leveraged to the help, but I'm not getting the rents in for the cost. And I need a way to exit, you know, and um, if you can't find the other replacement properties you look for, then you might want to look into um, this and contact Pete um, about it. Hey, hey Scott. Yeah. Uh, at what income level or like number of doors or whatever, does that make sense to start considering that setup? Uh, what I would do, I would contact Pete about this and then actually have him run the analysis um, so what he'll actually do is he'll start to break down for you, like, here's all of your income, you know, your income, expenses, you know, what's your current tax liability. And then what he'll do is he'll make a side-by-side -side strategy that says, great, we can put in these things, these types of strategies, and that how that will reduce like your, your taxes, and then what will happen to your cash flow, and then what's going to happen to your, um, and to your net worth. So if you... Um, it's typically you find people going into these strategies uh, either because they are um, high W-2 income earners um, or that it's because they said, well, listen, solo 401ks are cool because they're cheap and easy and I can protect, you know, 60K a year doing that. But if I need to protect more from taxes, then I want to use this 501c3 strategy into it. So you could use it because it's your above your uh, 60,000 for your solo 401k and say, great, this is my next strategy. That's at that next level higher to protect more income. Or I see people doing it because they want to be able to draw a salary off of it. So they want to, then they don't want their money locked up in a retirement account like a solo 401k. So there's more expense to this uh, route, but there's more flexibility. I think these are about $5,000 to set up soup to nuts. Whereas your solo 401ks are like 1300 bucks or so. Scott, Scott, you guys set up opportunity. Oh, what's that? I couldn't hear that. Sorry. You guys set up opportunity. All right, let's let's go with Chris first, and then we'll then we'll get Brendan. 
Okay. No, this, well, you know, first off, this is a good strategy uh, or it, it can be. Um, I think when it comes to real estate, I, I, I find in the end that 1031 is usually the best strategy because you could defer it forever and then you're, you know, get a stepped up in basis when you pass to your, to everybody else. Um, but if you're over, you know, whatever that federal limit is on inheritance, then uh, th this could be also a good strategy to pass on uh, to your kids so they can draw a salary if you've got a large amount of money. But no, I was, I was, I was asking if you guys set up opportunity funds, because that's also another option. If you've got a lot of capital gains, uh, maybe not necessarily in real estate that, you know, you could deploy uh, with real estate. Again, I, it's of my opinion, uh, very infrequently, but yeah, the 1031 is, well, is the best option. Uh, is the best option. Yeah. If, if you're just going from real estate to real estate, 1031, there's other plays in here too. If I have other 1099 income or my W2 income from a job, yeah. like where you need a different strategy with it. That's why I think like the best things to do is always just to reach out and, um, you know, email Pete at Pete at royallegalsolutions.com or, or at that, uh, the tax quiz that Liz just dropped into there and then get scheduled in to talk to Pete because there's the, it doesn't take that long. You're talking about like a few hours of, of your time to get a definitive strategy of here's what I'm doing with the finances. Here's how they optimize for tax. And what are you doing with your investments? Pete also is consulting in on the investing side of it too, to see what, how your investments themselves could shift to, and how that would impact your income, um, uh, your, your income, your cash flow, and your, and your net worth into it. So it's, those are holistic types of strategy sessions uh, with Pete. Um, yeah. if you want to talk to him about that. I will definitely consider that. But Scott, just my one, one quick question. Do you guys set up opportunity funds? Is that part of your... I think we actually just partnered with a provider that does that, that they'll set up the, uh, the OZ funds uh, and, and be able to run those. Um, but it's not, we don't have anybody in-house that does it. So that'd be something if you're interested in um, to contact me about, um, Chris, and then I okay. would be able to uh, quarterback in to say like, how would that work for uh, the fulfillment um, side of like an OZ fund? Thanks, are you looking uh, to do fundraising with your OZ fund? Or are you looking just for your personal? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm considering it um, only because of the, the land development deals that I'm seeing, you know, pop up and with uh, uh, development costs going down. Um, I, I think it might be a good opportunity, um, especially where I have a lot of friends that have cap gains that they want to invest into something. And most of them I'm finding are just going into a DST so that they just don't have to worry about it, but they're willing to settle for four or 5% returns. And, you know, I just feel if you're in your twenties or thirties or forties, that's just uh, not a great return in my opinion. What, what type of return or would you target? You say like, Hey, well, four or five seems too low. I mean, I get it. Like they're, they're avoiding the money on the tax. So that's the really big, ROI, right, is is the tax avoidance that comes right. with it, not necessarily the return on the investment. But with the OZ fund, what were you what were you looking at, Chris, as saying like what you think like a good return would be right now? Well, I mean, that's an awesome question, Scott. I wish I had a very good answer for it. Uh, just for me to put it into something where it only gets four or five percent, and I have zero control. Uh, it's just tying up your money for too long because I haven't seen any of them that are longer than five years, uh, which your money is tied up. So, uh, you know, I guess it would really depend on where, you know, where you are in that mix. I mean, is it uh, one with no leverage or is there leverage, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to be bluntly honest, I have no idea what the profit split would be right now. All I know is the overall return would certainly be up above 10%. Um, but you know, obviously I'm going to go offer it and what people are willing to give me, maybe 
that is a great return for them, but they just feel more comfortable because they know who's investing it and they know it's in something that they have a bit more control of. I love it, dude. Yeah. I've been looking at some deals with a couple of groups that are inside OZ funds. So if you want to reach out and uh, I'll, I'll share with you some of the stuff that I'm seeing as benchmarks. Sure. Uh, sure. That are active right now. Well, and I'm that. also looking at more strongly at too, because where the cost of money is going up and up, you know, if, if, yeah, I, I was able to get 3% loans. So why, why go to outside funds when you can get, you know, funds so cheap, but now that's just not the case. It's, I'm not seeing anything really much less than six. So this is why I'm starting to think of getting other people involved. Perfect. Well, it sounds like guys, we had a lot of conversation here today and recapping. It sounds like there was um, to, to recap as far as here. We, Ron shared with us about how the world uh, is uh, having a lot of challenges right now. And that, ha- that the major challenges that as I've uh, seen from his presentation is around uh, my takeaways and be like, Hey, it's really around food and energy in terms of what things are we really confident are going to increase in prices um, as we go forward. Uh, it looked like from the conversation here with Chris, it says, Hey, we're looking into um, uh, you know, what's going to be happening with uh, our, um, our real estate. Uh, it's like, there's some question marks into what's going to happen with real estate. So playing defense sounds like the move right now with trying to decrease your LTVs or other properties that would, uh, you think would suffer um, if you were in a downturn economy, um, that they're not servicing um, is the, the right kinds of people um, into it. They're the right kinds of renters in that property is, is another one of those risks that you'd want to associate there with your real estate. Um, and then looking at saying like, hey, if you have significant equity or significant gains that you've made in this up market, uh, maybe to look to try to take some of those gains off the table and do it like in a, in a, in a way that's going to work well for you for taxes, either uh, by um, 1031ing into the pro, an asset that's going to perform well uh, in a down economy that's going that has you know food and energy um, issues, um, potentially some employment issues um, coming along with it, um, as well as uh, being able to potentially look at uh, opportunity zones or 501c foundations. You know what are going to be those options for you to be able to get into the right assets, uh, and that we know. Part of our discussion here today was that there's nothing wrong with sitting on cash, right? For when you're inside of a market, it's like, great, well, inflation is going to eat it away. But what's going to eat away my wealth even worse is that uh, two things will happen. Either my assets are going to go shoot, get plummeted down. And then I'm left with assets that I can't uh, can't sell really without taking huge losses, which means that, hey, I'm not going to be able to take advantage of when things go on sale, you know, um, and, and when what's going to happen at that bottom of that market or near the bottom of that market. Um, you can't ever time markets right, but you can. It's like horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Like playing darts is really hard with markets. Uh, but if all you have to do is throw a hand grenade and just be generally in the in the right zone of it. Um, then you can, um, you know, potentially that that might be a way um, that you feel confident in investing. Um, and we heard some other thoughts here today too, which is no, just get into the right, you know, cash flow scenario and just never plan on selling it. You know, you just buy and hold and, and hold them until you die or 1031 at other assets. Um, and you just wait and you wait it out, whether it's going to be the big or the small on that. Um, I wanted to kick the mic over uh, to Brendan uh, real quick, Brendan W, because I had call uh, the, both both Chris and Brendan were trying to share earlier, and I told Brendan that he was going to have an opportunity to share, and I, I, I just jumped in right after Chris. So, Brendan, was there something that you wanted to share with us before you jump off today? Before we jump off today? Um, yeah, I, I just wanted you to, to talk a little bit about estate planning stuff with, uh, with the 501c3s and, and such, but I, I could take that question over to the Discord if we are out of time. 
Excellent. Yeah, let's talk about that um, in the Discord and how that works with the 501c3 um, and what, what's going to happen with any of the interest there um, inside of the estate plan documents um, that comes with that. That'll be that'll definitely be an attorney meeting uh, there, too. Looks like um, there's some. Scott. Yeah, there's I just want to make sure that uh, we can post the link to the Discord channel um, there inside of the uh, chat for anybody that wants to join in that conversation and learn about those questions from Brennan. Um, Alex, let me know what you're thinking, buddy, and then we're going to wrap up. Yes, Scott, I just want to add what Ron said, okay? Never been in my life and the history here that I have experienced a complete shutdown to the world for about two years, number one. Number two, I have never seen where trillions of dollars flow right into our economy. Three, I've never experienced a war that's impacted an entire continent. Put it all together, the supply chain disruption, right? But we also know wherever there's a crisis, there are great opportunities, whether it's COVID, whether it's the trillion of dollars that pour into the economy, where what's happening in the war, or also what's happening in the supply chain. So you just want to be on the other side of it. And just like what we said before, where there's a crisis, there are opportunities. And I just want to end it with that. Thank you, Ryan. Well, keep it. I love it. Like ending here on the positive note, Alex, we're getting to it, right? It's like, great. Crisis are coming up. Fantastic. Let's get prepared for it. What do we think that can look like? How do we play defense? And then how are we going to make it the best thing that ever happened for our lives? Right. Absolutely. So coming in here and like we're looking to focus on things week over week. Maybe that's what the drum beat that we can keep beating the heads on. I'm saying, great. A lot of people out there are going to have a ton of challenges. We're going to have some challenges, too, but we're going to be prepared for them. We're going to act appropriately and know together as a group that at least we have this group to be having conversations with next week. You say, where are our heads at? Making sure we're thinking clearly that we have each other to lean on about. Here's what the thinking looks like. That kind yeah, of bring so on the crisis. Forward. Yeah, bring What's on the out? crisis. Bring, Bring on, on the, the crisis. crisis. Listen, man, yeah, crisis are never going to stop. This, that is the opportunities. That's right, man. It, and that's part of the human condition. If we ever think that we're ever going to feel like everything is going to be safe and secure and one time we're going to get there and it's going to last that way for forever, we're dreaming. That's not the way the world works, right? So it's just about navigating and navigating where we're at. And so I appreciate all the great conversation with Alex and Brennan and Ron and Chris and everybody who shared today. Um, you know, Maria and, and everybody that shared today here in the chat as well, too, and, and facilitating some of this conversation. Look forward to it, guys, coming up here in these next weeks. Thank you so much, Ron and everybody. Everybody take care. I'll see you soon.